Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. My kid and I had a podcast for a little while, which is sort of a subset of the Zompocalypse Now podcast, which was a family movie nightmare where we would sit and, and we did, I think one or two seasons of, um, Oh, now I'm drawing a complete, Uh, help uh, me out. Justin. That and a thousand. Yeah, the Candle Cove show on, on Sci-Fi. The uh, uh, the oh, Channel Zero. Channel Zero. Oh, yeah, I just saw it. I didn't know it existed, and I finally got Shutter and uh, definitely binge watched all four seasons. <laughs> we had okay. definite opinions about some of the Emma. seasons. <laughs> Emma, I love your hair. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited about your 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 hair. I'm so, I'm so, I think it's so cute. That's number one. Number two, I watched two episodes of the Candle Cove. One was like, nope, I'm not watching this. Can't do this. You know. Is it because of the teeth? Because the sounds that the teeth monster makes are amazing. Yeah. No, it was, I think it was in episode two. The guy who used to date Leslie Nope comes out of that room and into the hallway. And there's a person covered in brush with antlers on fire in the hallway. Nice. Mm-hmm. And he's just like standing there and they're standing there looking at each other. And then all of a sudden it's like, that didn't happen at all. And uh, I don't know. I, I was like, no, I feel like this show is going to go a little farther for me than I want my sci-fi shows to go. Interesting. <laughs> See, I liked it because it felt more like true horror to me. Like there's a place right. in my heart for horror comedy, obviously. Yeah. But- but it felt like quite true horror. I was so surprised that I didn't know it existed because we don't really have the sci-fi channel in Canada. It, isn't it, don't you have a different, isn't it called something else? Like um, There are some like, I haven't had cable since before I was in university, which is a mm. little ways in the past. Um, but there are some that are like similar uh, feeling, but they aren't technically the sci-fi channel. Don't don't worry about about feeling old, Emma. I uh, lost a contract with Viacom because I'm too old and fat to be on MTV. So that was fun. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was, that was controversial. Yeah, well, a controversial for the seven people who knew about it. Yeah. So- <laughs> yeah. Mike, are you in LA right now? I am. Yeah, in in lockdown city. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I have to ask this. Um, yeah, but. Please. There's been a lot happening in the news. I don't know if you're aware, Emma, but it's uh, America is a trash fire at the moment. Oh, we watch from above for sure. Okay. <laughs> um, and I was curious if the fires were taken care of. Yeah. I mean, the, there was a fire near me a couple of days ago and that was, they put that out pretty fast. And then I saw a car on fire yesterday. I was talking to my sister on the phone driving. There's like, you know, a car fire on the freeway, you know, welcome to Los Angeles. But um, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain that all the fires are out right now. It's well, that's a little good. scary though, because it's so, it was like 80, I went for a walk today, it was like 85 degrees outside in January. 
mid-January. So, oh my God, here we are getting into the meat of the podcast, and we haven't even introduced anyone yet. Timothy, you're good at this. Am I? All right. Yes. Hi, folks. <laughs> Welcome to the Zompocalypse Now podcast. I am Timothy Harvey, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Adair. Eating tater tots. Who's eating tater tots? Thanks. Okay. Curtis Smith. Hello. He's not eating tater tots at this nope. time. Uh, Mike Zara. Hi. And Emma Sutherland. Howdy. These guys are, weren't here last time. What's happening, Tim? This is true. They are, in fact, guests on this very show. And there's a reason for that. For our Christmas episode, our holiday episode, we looked at a little film called Letters to Satan Claus. And a little background here. So we generally talk about the Walking Dead universe. Of course, if you listen to the show, we talk about the Walking Dead universe and we love it and hate it and bash on it and praise it and do all sorts of, we put it through the grinder every time we talk about the show. We don't know how to feel about it. We don't. <laughs> and when There's the a lot show, of emotions. <laughs> when the show is not, in fact, on the air, we talk about movies and we talk about other TV shows. And Dustin had this idea. He said, oh, guys, 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 we have to talk about this movie. And we're like, what movie is this? And he's like, Letters to Satan Claus. And we're like, all right. And I'm such, I mean, and I have a feeling that, that our guests, Emma and Mike, feel the same way. I am such a fan of those Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, they are like every year as they come around, I'm like, oh, I, I wonder which one. I wonder what Cameron Bray is doing this year. And, you know, <laughs> all of them. Yes. And I just love them. And I told, I tried to explain to them what my favorite, my favorite one is called, uh, uh, oh gosh, what is it? Christmas at the Carlisle. And it's got Alicia Swit <laughs> in it. And she plays a woman who gets a job as the mall Santa, but nobody knows she's a woman when she's dressed as mall Santa. They all think she's real Santa. And, it, you know, it's in a department store. So it's like the 1950s, but it's really not because it's today. And <laughs> I just love them so much that when Letters to Satan Claus the, showed up, I was like, we have to cover this. We have got to cover this. And I even explained to them what what the must-haves for one of these movies are. And, uh, <laughs> and, and to some degree... Oh, <laughs> we oh, stopped short of making it a drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys all watch... Have you all watched or are fans of the Christmas movie? So movie? here's the thing. No. <laughs> so while I have seen a handful of Hallmark movies over time, just because I'm 50 years old, I can't have avoided it. I mean, statistically right. speaking, I will watch one, you know, there, there comes a certain point where, yes, I did actually see that movie, but there's, and, and there's something about them being comfort food for a lot of people because yeah. they have the same story structure. They a lot of times have the same cast. And but there's something to them that people really appeals to people, but I don't generally watch them. And I think this is the same for Curtis, isn't it? I've never seen one. I, I'd never seen one. I, I think when I was a teenager, I watched something, but it was an after school special about amphetamines. 
<laughs> it's not the that's same not, thing. That's not a Hallmark movie. It might so, have been a Degrassi but, episode. But it's though. it's yeah, the Plus parent. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that all th- we started doing this show back when we all lived in Kansas City, which is the headquarters of Hallmark. Oh, right. I could, it, it would take me, you know, it's 10 minutes from drive from my apartment down to the Hallmark headquarters. But even so, we're like, okay, sure. We decided to watch this. And, and folks, we, uh, my apologies. We forgot to mention, or I forgot to mention, I'll take the blame on this. Emma directed Letters to Satan Claus and Mike wrote it. So that's why we're giving them deeply personal experiences about our introduction to this magical (laughs) film. (laughs) And Emma, Mike, I don't know. I showed this movie to my mom. She's 82 years old, and we watched it together while I was waiting for turkey to cook. That makes me so happy. That is like, (laughs) I. I have what I really wanted to, was a lot of Hallmark fans to watch it. You know, like my mom loves Christmas movies. I've worked on a ton of Christmas movies. She loves to send me my name in the credits of those <laughs> movies. And it was before I was really directing, you know, like I was a first assistant director and they come on every year and she's take, still taking pictures of them. Like, I think she's in some ways more proud of that than <laughs> any of the stuff I've directed. But um uh, so it was really nice for her to be able to watch this and it feel in the same tone that she loved. I love the idea of grandma's watching this. So oh. she was she was confused for a little bit, but she got on board after a while and it was all good. Well, and the funny thing is, is that when I watch these movies, I say stuff like, you know, a chandelier's gonna fall and crash it on the mayor's head and she's gonna die. Or, you know, like, you know, oh, She's going to get impregnated with Satan's baby. And, you know, it was so good to see one of that, some of that actually happen in one of these movies. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, all back to the child, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's the beginning. That's the beginning for us. Let's talk about the beginning for you. I suppose, Mike, you were sitting at home one day going, well, I'm out of toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is pre uh non toilet paper good rationing. Yeah, I I had a really good, you know, when you're a writer or a director in, in Los Angeles and I'm sure in Toronto too, people go on generals, general meetings, I guess. And so I had a general meeting with um an executive at Sci-Fi and we just kind of hit it off. A couple months later, I was watching the Hallmark Channel and I was watching one of these movies because I like there was a time where I was like watching them like every night at like 11 o'clock at night, which, you know, perfect time right before bed, dreaming of sugar plums and, you know, hunky (laughs) guys. And uh, I thought there should be a parody of these Christmas movies and do it as a horror movie. And I typed up like an eight page document and it was called a very murdery Christmas. <laughs> and, and I, I sent it to, to the executive at sci-fi and, you know, cut to like, not even a month later, I was hired to write a script. And so, which never happens, you know, to like sell something like is just a kind of a germ of an idea 
and then for it to kind of be fast tracked was incredible. And um, yeah, so that's that's that was the the genesis of it. I I there is like you were saying, I Dustin, I there there is something very comforting about these movies and and wholesome and and sweet and very predictable and you have it's to so right for parody just like yeah i mean i was actually really surprised that nobody had done it and and i don't know if that's why sci-fi was like okay let's be the first ones to actually do it and get it out there or what but um yeah and then emma came on board and and the rest is history i mean it's just and there's my I don't know if we're showing the zoom conversation we're having visually but I have my letters yeah. of Saint Claus poster behind me which is hung up and I love so much and it just it all just if any just the fact that you guys enjoyed watching it is 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 a total win for me you know what I mean and and that we yeah. got this thing made is a is a win and as a writer I I've sold pilots on, you know, to networks and, you know, written on TV shows that aren't mine, but so to have my, like an original idea be broadcast is, is kind of a, kind of a miracle. So, and during COVID, so the whole thing is just, you know, icing on the uh, gingerbread cookie, so to speak, (laughs) or angel (laughs) cookie rather. How did you come to know about this, Emma? So um, I had met with the producer, uh, Sam Levine, and her and I were looking for something to collaborate on. Uh, We had had a couple meetings and she brought me on, you know, at first as kind of an associate producer role to start uh, filling out the crew. And it just kind of morphed into me getting to take on the director's seat, um, which wasn't something that I initially expected, but I'm so grateful for. Like I was saying, I have some background in um, Christmas, made-for-TV Christmas movies. I think there was one year I was an assistant director on like eight of them back-to-back. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I directed uh, Harlequin Romance, which is very similar to the Hallmark brand. Um, That was for like an autumn-themed one called um, After the Storm, which is very, you know, follows the exact same formula. So you know, it became really important to me to work with my cinematographer and my production designer and wardrobe, uh, costume designer to build that world so that it looked exactly like those Hallmark movies. A lot of that is like very simple camera moves, that wide dolly shot that lands into your framing. Um, twinkle lights and like look like Christmas vomited every single angle. Like the <laughs> amount of times where I'm like, we need to move a wreath so it twinkles behind them. <laughs> my continuity person is so mad at me they're like there's not a wreath there i'm like i don't care <laughs> i don't know why somebody told you that i cared about whether or not the wreath existed in universe before this. it'll be super out of focus it's okay we need twinkles you know? um, because that's literally how those movies are made it's like mm-hmm. you carry around the same three christmas trees and just shove them in every corner <laughs> oh yeah So being able to know that genre really well, the same way that Mike does with the script, right? Is that's the only way to subvert it, in in my opinion, Mm -hmm. with success, right? Is that there has to be some homage to your source material. Um, And I think parody without some kind of love doesn't, it always falls flat. Um, And and I think that that's kind of been the nicest thing, um, getting a response from this film is that people who love that genre or love to hate it, 
you can see it on the screen. Like I, we mimic all of those moves until, uh, until we have to subvert it for a, a kill. Right. And we mimic all of that lighting until it changes for a kill. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big part of how that, how the film kind of works. And I'm so grateful I got to be a part of it and like use those skills as I transfer into what I really want to be doing with this horror. Dustin Curtis and I are all have all been involved with filmmaking. We have Dustin's oh. a writer, I'm a writer, uh, a director and an editor. Curtis is an, is a writer and an actor and a voice artist. We have made films together where we have done very very funny films that riff on there's there's a very wrong detective movie we made. Do you remember where where Curtis and Dustin both have a role? There's a uh, uh, Dustin Oh and- god, that movie. <laughs> Are you talking about Walker Sex a Stranger? Walker, That's the one. <laughs> and it's Ready really it's yeah. really funny and very, very wrong. Right. Uh, Dustin and I made a film for a film competition several years ago that I am slow motion re-editing where we mocked the Saw movies and Dustin in a bouncy fun ball. It's a thing. It's <laughs> Sounds like it's yeah, right. But so we've all been involved with our with, art is visual medium. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've been on both both sides of the camera, and we've done we we worked on features together, and we know how hard all of this is to put together to get the, what you want, and what you write, what you shoot, and what you're left with when you edit it can be very different things. How close was the finished product, Mike, to what you wrote? Pretty, pretty, pretty damn close. Yeah. I have to say, um, you know, that was that was a really uh, also doesn't happen, especially when you work on a television show that's not your creation, and you write for a boss, and then they rewrite you, and then you get to set, and the actors are like, "I'm not saying this," and then <laughs> you have to rewrite that. So yeah, it's Never very fair. And so I was very happy. I will say that Emma did have some alt dialogue that I wish I could take credit for because it's the vapist line. If you remember (laughs) Chad saying they don't remember their vapists, you know, like, Oh God. Yeah. I thought, I, I mean, it's genius. I also thought probably better for, um, not a cis, gender male to write that line so I was very <laughs> I was happy for Emma to take it but um no like you know I think the stuff that wasn't mine just was great ads you know but no it literally like um I'm trying to think of down to the specific sayings that I had written on the Christmas sweaters that Cookie said <laughs> Those yeah. were on. Those were on these sweaters, and like they're all like our uh, costume designer. Like Cookie was one of her favorite characters to make. I think Cookie and Faith were her two favorite mm-hmm. uh, characters, and like she was so excited to be building these sweaters from scratch. So that because oh, wow. we we all were really excited. Anybody who works in film has cut their teeth on these movies. Um, it's part of how you build up a reel. It's how you build up, um, you know, your department. So all of us have worked on many Christmas TV movies and it's incredibly challenging on a lot of departments 
like you were saying, uh, headquarters for uh, Hallmark, you know, that's a lot of calls back and forth to the headquarters to get approval for everything. You know, the hair has oh. to be just right. The wardrobe is so specific. And because Kendra had done several of these, she was so she was exactly the right person to bring in to to dress everybody exactly like they would be in the films. Um, and then add extra touches that were like over the top. Right. <laughs> I loved the mayor's outfits. Every outfit she wore was like perfectly like small town Hallmark movie mayor, except for giant cleavage popping out of the front. I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cleavage is a no-no in, in yeah, the real... I mean, like, you'd get arrested film. if you had cleavage yeah. in a Hallmark film. Yeah, no kissing before... The ring, no, no cleavage, hair full and down. The wine that's like, if people drink wine, they don't actually drink it. And it's like Kool-Aid colored. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why all the cheap meats are in coffee shops because they can actually drink coffee. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I said, this is one of my like go-to genres of movie. It's a Hallmark movie. It reminds me a little bit of when I was in college back, Mike, when you were probably eight, uh, that I, I used I to. So. I'm, I've uh, got a ring light, baby. Uh, <laughs> Every uh, light in my apartment is on. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in my, my kitchen. Yeah, Curtis lives in the dark, and, uh, and I'm I'm over here trying to make sure that all my children are staying on the other side of the room. Oh my God! But so go on. Uh, you're so in back in back in the early ninety early two uh, thousands when I was in college. Yeah, uh, that's when I was in college. Oh, really? Yeah. Suck wow. it. I'm the old person here, Dustin. We've established that well and a long time ago. Oh, um, I, me and my, I used to stay up and and obsessively watch the Skinamax movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I'd be like, somebody was paid to write the three lines they said <laughs> when they walked in the door before she took off her top. Like, you know, who did? And I would like. I had like charts and graphs of like who the different companies were anyway. And Hallmark movies is also one of those, like somebody was paid to write the exact same story again, like for the ninth time, mm-hmm. you know, corporate lady comes back to small town uh, where, you know, she meets her ex flame who now works at the reindeer factory and, you know, his adorable Moppet. And, you know, I just loved to see all of those things in this movie subverted. And I loved how you had, like, all the different, you, you clicked all the boxes, you know. Uh, what, did his, what did his wife die of? Cancer? Well, what kind of cancer? Can- cancer. cancer. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, and the, the, the one wife died in a ballooning accident. She wasn't in the balloon. Yeah, I I honestly, this is the the most freeing thing I've ever gotten to write. You know what I mean? Paid or not. Like I really It is a rare thing, isn't it, to get to write what you want. I don't think this will probably ever happen again in in this to this degree. Um (laughs) I you know Well, I don't know. You you might be getting the call because from what I understand. This was probably one of the a highlight of the season for for sci-fi, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, we, I haven't heard anything, honestly, and I don't know if Emma has either. I, I know that, like, I think it did well when it premiered, and just seeing the response on Twitter was a lot, and very positive for the most part, but I haven't heard anything from sci-fi, you know, I have an idea for a sequel, I have an idea for how you could make ornaments sort of a a series without Satan or maybe Satan pops up here and there, but like, you know, I haven't heard anything. And, and are there, are there uh, identical twins who switch places in your sequel? There have to be identical twins who switch places in your sequel. No. Well, that's, that's more a Netflix former high school <laughs> musical, story, you know, genre. You are, um, you are dipping your toe in the wrong genre, Dustin. No, no, <laughs> it is. It's the, that's the Netflix home holiday movie, but, um, no, I, I, we haven't heard anything. And, and actually, sadly, our um, executive at Sci-Fi just left for a new job. So I, who, we have no idea what's, what Sci-Fi 2.0 looks like anyway. So um, it's always so interesting working kind of like back and forth up the, the ladder to a network where it's like, there are several layers of people between them and us often so I, I reached out to Sam Levine who's my producer and generally it's like you know what we have not heard anything bad which is pretty much means it was excellent which is a weird okay. thing right because they want to make sure I know that that it's important these these are not the biggest budget films of all time um, and it's the same same way that Netflix doesn't really make their views open to the public for example right it's like yeah trying to keep modicum of like you want to keep those people who make the magic and yeah. make sure they're not too expensive jokes on them i would do it again for very little yeah same i had so um, much fun i mean it really i think and emma wasn't we weren't neither one of us was part of like the casting at the beginning right because yeah. you came in later and i was not a producer on the film but i have to say the cast was so magical like I really I mean especially I have a very like all the ladies and I think I just I tend to write women more and enjoy actresses you know that's just my jam I don't know what that is the gay <laughs> DNA or whatever but I thought all the women were so incredible starting with Karen Knox who's Holly I just think she I that is exactly the person that I, the anti-Hallmark heroine. I, I wrote it as like, I told, I, I can't, I think I told sci-fi like, or in this, the original script, it was like, picture a blonde Kristen Ritter, you know what I mean? And that's, <laughs> and that's what she is, you know, just that like, like really like edgy, cool, like that kind of cool girl would never be in one of these movies. And that's what I, but looks like, one of those women in the Hallmark <laughs> movies. And that's what I, that's what I wanted. And that's what we got, which was so cool. So yeah, I really loved Karen's performance and really loved, uh, well, pretty much everybody. There was, they didn't feel like this was a, you know, huh, why is this person in this movie? Sometimes you get that where it's like, okay, they're all right, but they don't fit in with everybody else. Just whatever the, t you know, the tone's off. Everybody was like that. But Perry Voss, her play, Cookie, her sister, Mm -hmm. is just i mean she for me she was one of the highlights of the thing and when totally. over christmas on christmas day my i was with my family down in wichita kansas and my sister who does not watch hallmark movies 
I don't think she's ever seen a Hallmark movie. She's an engineer. Her mind isn't just not <laughs> her. Work that way. Her doesn't work that way. And it came on Saturday or that that afternoon on on, and I'm like, we just reviewed this on the show. And she's like, huh? And she started watching it, and she's like, why are we watching this? <laughs> what is going on? And then 30 minutes later, she's like, oh, we got to go. And she's getting, she and my niece getting ready to leave. And she's like, what happens next? And I'm like, aha! <laughs> gotcha! That's funny. And really, I think it was, it was really about the time where you were seeing this, this interaction really between the sisters. Yeah. That was really kind of getting to her because it's so funny. But by the time, you know, we get a little bit, we get a little bit of murder. We get a little bit of of family. We get we get a lot of comedy. She's like, and I know she's watched it since. So it's <laughs> great. No, I I think, and I'm sure Emma agrees. Like, I think there's a there's a heart to that relationship of the sisters, and I mean, what a fucking tragedy that they went through as kids, and like to really go beyond the humor and horror and really kind of like, I don't know, see, see the sort of humanity in these people and the, you know, the, the pain, you know, and I know it's a sci-fi parody movie, but I really felt for these two girls writing for them when they were little and, and now as women, how, how they had these scars that they've carried with them and, you know, I, again, I think, I think Emma did a beautiful job of balancing that, you know what I mean? Because when Perry Cookie, you know, is gobsmacked that her sister potentially killed their parents, I mean, it's a real, it's, 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 it's heartbreaking. Her performance on that was so outstanding. I think it was only two takes and uh, I can't remember what I went and chatted with her about in between the two, but the second one was just like, ah, it was, um, <laughs> It was really interesting talking to them. Like I have, you know, I think we all have our own like histories of oddness. Like I'm, I have PTSD. Um, so it was really interesting talking to both Perry and Knox about how the different ways in which people can kind of manifest that in their lives. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I for sure feel so similar to both of them. Um, I was uh, an alcoholic for a long time. So it was interesting being able to talk to Karen about that before we started filming and just explain like that was part of the way that I dealt with that, right? And being surly and being, you know, um, and I would say that on the other side, um, you know, in sobriety, I'm far more of a cookie, like sweaters intact, you know? <laughs> um, so it's it was really... I, that's the only way I really know how to direct is through, you know, relating my own personal experience and uh, which is a gift I've gotten from, you know, recovery and, and um, uh, recovery <laughs> and therapy is like being able to actually understand what my feelings are, or what my motivations are for things and like what those layers are and how they, and what they look like, like how that translates. And I wouldn't have been able to do that or have those kind of conversations without that life experience but it was nice to carry that all the way through like what does a PTSD episode look like in flashbacks mm-hmm. right you know my um my DP straight up put um lip 
chap on the filter on the camera to to make that effect in camera so and how we chose to edit it were all pieces of like this is my lived experience how can we translate into that mm-hmm. into the visual medium and it was it was really lovely list like being able to share that with people and then have it translate so well mm-hmm. yeah i always think it's uh it's interesting to see how other like how how comedy is going to deal with something that's potentially that dark. And, you know, you had a specific job to do in like a parody movie. You're not going to, you know, do a, a a full turn like like a BoJack Horseman would do, like mm-hmm. into super duper dark. You had to, I mean, it must have been difficult to balance keeping it light and also kind of keeping it sort of true to life as well. You know, because you don't want to lose people in the in the like, wow, this is straight up a story about two girls who found their parents, uh, you know, chopped up in boxes on Christmas morning. You know, <laughs> you want to you want to keep it like, oh, is she going to end up with that really boring guy, or is she going <laughs> to? You know, like... I think that comedy um, and in, in particular parody is such a weird line to walk, and I think it's about making sure that you. We talked about it already. Is like give love to your reference material and two is that like there has to be something genuine behind it right it's like the actors if they're in on the joke too much then it doesn't read either right like it it doesn't make if you're performing it as poking fun at it like poking fun of it with the intention to make fun of it you know what I mean that that yeah that doesn't you have to be earnest I think What immediately, when you said poking fun of it, what immediately jumped into my brain was uh, the scenes in Death Becomes Her when Goldie Hawn is in that mental hospital and she's like, I want to talk about what's her name again? And and all the other people like, no! That, I think, is a perfect example of, like, taking a serious thing, like the fact that this woman was scarred by her best friend and had her entire life destroyed, and and making it a little too silly you know mm. Mm. yeah i mean i love death becomes her Goldie oh, every, of queen among queens, yeah. and yeah. the special effects in that film are to die for yeah. but uh i see what you're saying and i think the other thing is that some elements of comedy have changed over time like mm. good luck putting together a three camera sitcom now everything is kind of filmed very differently than it had been i think you know, the only three to camera sitcom that's worked recently would have been Big Bang Theory. Where's um, my back of the TV prop? <laughs> <laughs> but it's because comedy and how we digest it and stuff has changed. Like I think Modern Family, for for example, like it is intense comedy, but there's these moments of real genuine connection that are now a part of our lexicon of comedy right mm-hmm. yeah well you also have the 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 plus when doing a, a comedy that's a romantic comedy but it's also a little bit of a horror film is that horror and comedy have very similar beats you know you set things up the thing happens and then you recover from it whether it's mm-hmm. the punch you know the the setup the punchline and the, you know the laugh all these different things right it's when you can get it right horror comedy can be something where i mean there's a reason a lot of us laugh after we've seen some horrible scene in a horror movie. It's because our brains are just wired to almost see those in kind of the same way. Yeah. 
And when you're doing something which is very, very funny and then flipping it around and getting the actual, and she just got her eyes ripped out. <laughs> and you realize you're laughing and it's like, no, but wait a minute. <laughs> this is a terrible way to die. This is awful. Right. I used to run a, I used to run a group call, uh, in Kansas City that was, we, we were all horror fans and we would all go see movies once a week. And we would laugh so hysterically at, at some of these, like, I, I remember we saw the Friday the 13th remake. Yes, Friday the uh-huh. 13th, or reboot, or I think is what it was, actually. But there were some moments where we were all just dying, and everyone around us were looking at, like, looking at us like we were like a pack of psychos. Because I think maybe we were a pack of psychos all getting together. To I don't know. I, like, for dying. me... It, like I think it's a release, you know what I mean, and and you hope hope that no one you know is being hacked to death by a guy in a hockey mask or. Well, it is for pretend, you know. Right, and I don't know. I I I kind of always need a, a wink or a little humor in my my horror. I am not a saw Eli Roth. Sorry, I mean please hire me, but no, um, I am not it's, a Eli Roth flavored. guy. I am not an Eli Roth guy either. Yeah. I have I have distinct distinct opinions about Eli Roth based on absolutely nothing. So, but well, but <laughs> with with horror comedy, I mean, it's almost like it, there's a cartoonish element, right? And I think that's how you can swallow the death because it is so outlandish. You know what I mean? And you know, who hopefully nobody dies by getting their ear ripped off because they're wearing a Hot Topic cross earring, you know? Yeah, I hope. Yeah, you know, hopefully. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, this is, a, this is meant to be funny, which is exactly when you want them to be laughing. You don't want it to be like when Dustin and I and a friend of ours went to see the first Paranormal Activity film. And Dustin and I are writers. I'm a director well, and an it- editor. We were there with the cinematographer and we laughed out loud through about 90% of that film. The rest of the audience was not fans of ours, well, I, but to we me, thought it was hysterical because it's so, as, as far as filmmaking goes, it's got a lot of issues Yeah, um, with the script and with the way it's shot and all these different things. We're like, why are people scared of this movie? <laughs> Not that, it was like really challenging then and i think i'm not a found footage fan you know it's not it's not my favorite i'm i'm a like old school tripod dolly gal but um, like carpenter yeah always oh always but you know there was a time where that was so um real feeling and that's often why people use those camera techniques you can say what you want about paranormal activity, but it was like $10,000 to shoot in box office, like stupid. And they made 22 of them. It's getting, I think it's getting a reboot again. I think so too. But you know, at the time, things like Blair Witch um, were coming out and Cloverfield, which were both really important for found footage films. Mm -hmm. They now have found footage anthologies, like those VHS Mm -hmm. um, series, which every once in a while, there's like a gem of a short film Mm -hmm. on those. Oh, yeah. Worth a watch. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have weird feelings about like the Blair Witch Project, because as a movie, I hated the film. I never saw it. I've never seen the Blair Witch. You're not really missing anything. But it's a but it's a critically important film for horror, because for a while, horror was sort of stagnant. 
yeah. before that mm-hmm. film came out. And it really revived horror for a lot of America, the American audience. Totally. But it's not a good movie. No, it's not really. And it's, a, it's it, an incredibly well-marketed movie. And the ad campaign on that film is a work of genius. And I bow down before the folks who actually built the ad campaign because they are truly, you know, incredible advertisers. But the film is not good. Yeah. <laughs> I think the point of found footage films is to make that visceral experience. And just because mm. I don't love that style of filmmaking, you know, I don't, I think that there are elements of it that are, really interesting and important to start pulling from right Mm -hmm. like what is it about this moment that's so scary when you're with that person and like when is it important to do shots that follow someone all the way through an action and like why you know and I think just because I would rather do that with a dolly or like if I had to a steady cam doesn't make the way that they were using those materials any less valuable because they really were visceral experiences for people Like people were hyperventilating during The Witch and like passing out in theaters. Yeah. I remember like, because for me, I I know we're totally like, we're we're talking, welcome to found footage chat. Well, uh, welcome to Zompocalypse Now. If you, you know, this is our show. We go on tangents all the time. Right. (laughs) I I hate in found footage because there's always a point where it's like, they would have put the camera down. There is no way they would still be filming at this point. Or if you've ever shot anything, this is the point where the battery has been dead for an hour and a half. Right. Never, you, <laughs> right. They never change yeah. batteries or cards. <laughs> well, they're, they're, those movies are inherited, inherently limited in what they can do. Mm-hmm. You've made I, a decision to have a point of view. Sure. Yeah. I've seen some that are, in some ways, a little bit more interesting. And it's like... Um, Oh, now I'm gonna. The last exorcism. Last exorcism. We we I loved the last exorcism. If you if you haven't seen that one, it's possibly if that film had come out instead of the Blair Witch Project, and of course they were like a decade apart, if not more. Mm -hmm. That is the film that people would be talking about when they talk about the film that revived that created Mm -hmm. created found footage. And if that had been the baseline. Um, it's just, it's extremely well written film, extremely well acted. And it uses the stuff that normally drives me nuts in found footage well. Right. Um, and, you know, There's a found footage just... film that is like mostly documentary where the, the um, actors played as if they were a crew and went to real haunted houses mm-hmm. um, across America. And then they built a story into that and shot the rest of the interstitial pieces. And I can't for the life of me remember the name of that film. The house did was a really interesting. Hmm? Uh, excuse me while I crunch into the camera. Well, while you're um, eating that, let me show you this. Hang on. It's Look the house this. that October built. <laughs> wow. so you can't Stop, see yeah. that. That's paranormal activity merch right there that I'm four. wearing. I just realized four. Yeah. Just realized that that's, uh, that's what I'm doing today. I'm Listen, still got my... like a, a blizzard. Yes. I'm you guys, I have <laughs> a lot of kids and I'm a single person. And sometimes you can promise spaghetti all you want. You know, homemade spaghetti to the children. But sometimes you end up just deciding that, fuck it, we're having Dairy Queen and I'm going to eat a blizzard while uh, I'm a steak finger country basket because I live in Texas and that's what we got here. Yeah, I mean, I'm just jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's Sunday here. I can't get ice cream anywhere. (laughs) It's everything's closed. Everything. So so Dustin's down in Texas. I'm still in Kansas City and Curtis is out in Western Kansas. 
Okay. We are in very yeah. weird environments to do a show. I'm the <laughs> only liberal within a hundred miles of me. Yeah. That it's, sounds like a horror film all on its own. Yeah. It's so awful. Oh God. I don't even leave the house hardly because I am really afraid that that's going to happen. I'm going to end up in somebody's hay barn chained to it and they're going to do some sort of liberal, you know, they're gonna, the preacher will there, come and there are still Trump pent signs up in my community in Texas. Yeah. My neighbor still got his Floating flag them around. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys saw I'm sorry, my... if you guys are Republicans. I don't want to offend you. Uh, I, I, I think you're saying not to speak for Emma, but um, I, I would say uh, anybody Emma, listening Emma would be the most aggressive Republican ever. If, if. Yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant, I could describe myself that way. That's, yeah, yeah our party, the world's like, most liberal Republican. <laughs> we have a different party system here. It's similar, but different. So You don't hate each other because your leader hasn't been trying to get you to hate each other. Hopefully. Well, you know what? We progressively move further, like closer to that um, very dichotomous style of, of governance. Mm-hmm. Our liberal party, party is more moderate. Um, and then we've got the conservatives, which is, you know, we have some people who are up for, you know, the heads of our conservative party that are not that different, you know, than you guys to the south um and then we've got a really like hip party which is the uh new democratic party which is a very socialist leaning gosh i hope you guys don't make the same mistake we ended up making after our socially progressive uh very liberal president got out of office yeah, uh, I, didn't, I didn't make a mistake you know why because i didn't read make the mistake before. either i think of like <laughs> I, you know, Trudeau as not, uh, as, as maybe centrist at best, like I'm maybe very far left. I think comrades. it, I think it helps that he's kind of good looking too. Yeah. He's that's very that's, attractive. That's, his dad was too. His dad True. was a real heartthrob. Wow. I'm sure you've noticed Emma that Americans are very appearance based. <laughs> That's why I'm in the shadows. <laughs> oh, he's he's that's a, that's a very handsome prime minister. Ooh. And yeah, that's kind of how it, you know. Well, yeah. it makes bad news feel better when a good-looking person is giving it to you. Yeah. Really. yeah. Oh, well, at the start of the lockdown, we definitely were watching his address every day as his hair got like shaggier in the wind, you know. <laughs> every once in a while, I call him Canadaddy. Oh, great! Oh, Dang. Good. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no worries. The, the the folks who listen to our show uh, have figured out by now that we are ex- pretty liberal group of people who we've mentioned a few times our political opinions on this show and and have not been subtle. So, you um, talking about Alex and Matt, our listeners? <laughs> Hi, Alex and Matt. <laughs> right. So we, of course, and this is. I don't know how much you guys know about the, the wonderful world of podcasting, but there is how no... How can they not? How can no, they not I mean, I know they're everywhere. There's a 40 million podcasts in the world. And of course, no one knows what makes a podcast successful. You either suddenly you have a bazillion listeners or you just don't know. Languish and obscurity for seven years. <laughs> just talking, talking into the wind about Rick and the Walking Dead for years. <laughs> 
for years to, to the same six people. And sometimes, sometimes something good will happen. Sometimes you get a Mo Collins or, you know, you get the writer or director of a movie you'd like to come and talk to you. But, but that doesn't change the fact that no one knows who you are and you have to explain how to spell Zompocalypse to people. As you may have noticed, I still have there are some feelings out. here. <laughs> there, there's is, this your, is this your Sunday night therapy? <laughs> well, it kind of is. The thing is, is that we got, we started doing this because we like hanging out with each other. When we were watching these shows and watching these movies, we were watching them on Dustin's couch. Oh, wow. And it was, we turned it into a night where our friends would come, all of our friends would come over to Dustin's over and place. Make dinner and, we'd yeah. make dinner and we'd watch, we'd watch Once Upon a Time because we hate ourselves, I think. <laughs> and then we would watch The Walking Dead because we still hate ourselves, oh my God. I think. So and and so this has been this like this ritual and even when Dustin moved we continued that for a while and then we when and we Dustin and I still watched it on the couch whether it was a group of us over and now that we were all separated physically even if even if the pandemic wasn't going on even if we weren't all isolating ourselves we were isolated as it is because Dustin and we're you know we're these are these are our friends and hanging out and watching bad television or good television or good movies or bad movies or suffering through the stand like we're doing right now. Oh, I mean, the new just the stand or like the, the, new the, stand. the new the stand. The new the stand. It is okay. Writer, director, you'll understand this. <laughs> if you're going to <laughs> we'll have episodes about this you can listen to and get more depth of our opinions, but let's not give unreasonable expectations. Exactly. This. That's true. Um, <laughs> If you have a great cast and a great story and it's a thousand plus pages long and you've only got eight hours of television to tell it in because it's a nine episode series and one of those episodes is written for the series. So it's brand new and you've got 40,000 characters. How are you going to pace your story? I'll tell you how they did it. They hired six writers and, and they have a different director for each episode. A lot of shows do that. That kept though. everything nice well, and cohesive. Solo runners really are kind of in charge of that, keeping that yeah. through line. It's very dull. Because I tried to rewatch it as part of like my quarantine time, and I had seen it probably once or twice already. But I was, uh, I gave it up for some other stuff to watch. Yeah, honestly, um, I think it's pretty easy to do with this particular. The stand. I meant is... the, the original. I haven't yeah. even tried the new. one. No, Curtis, yeah. Curtis has, has basically asked us several times if we have to keep watching this. And we told him, yes, we do. Because we started it and we're going to finish when it. You're paid, you're and this is how we say it. All access. Right. Oh, yes. We, we, are, we are definitely paying for that sp- subscription service. Oh, I just I watch mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm, I'm, we're definitely, that's how we're getting it. Uh-huh. Well, you can, it's important. Listener, your two listeners can watch Letters of St. Claus for free on the... It's true. Yes, sci-fi app. Yeah. sci-fi app or the NBC app as well. I highly recommend that they do that, and I've been recommending it ever since Christmas happened. Thank you, Curtis. It's really the only yeah. present that I got this year. <laughs> yes, and it's so good. And you know, I when I when I originally uh, suggested that we watch this, I was so excited to watch it for whether or not it was going to be good or bad. 
because you know I like I like to trash some shit just as much as I like to praise the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I cannot even tell you how happy I was when it was like, this is going to be one of the praise and the good stuff ones. This is going to be, you know, the kids got arrested for, for decorating somebody's house because, you know, and then it's okay to, it's okay not to celebrate Christmas and, and tinsel, Joey. Well, <laughs> is it? Okay. Okay. Is we, it though? We discussed some of our uh, favorite, Christmas themed horror movies, right? Oh yes. So I I'm kind of curious what you guys if you guys have any preferred rituals when Christmas comes around. Mike, you can go first if you no, want. No, because I, I we've we've gone over this before and you have better answers. So you go. <laughs> so you're not I'm off the hook. A Mike. total nut for Gremlins. Gremlins was totally part of my inspiration for the look of the, and feel of this film. I would say that Black Christmas, I had the original Black oh, Christmas, sure. I love because it's Canadian and <laughs> yeah. um, Andrea Martin is still amazing. Mm. Um, so, you know, other things that inspire this film for sure are like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and oh, I just love Christmas horror movies. Is that awful? I watched um, Maniac recently and realized that there's like one moment where he's carrying a Christmas tree. Oh. Uh, and therefore it makes it a christmas movie still counts that is the law so yeah. i'm gonna add it to my list like i think <laughs> that there are just so many i think krampus for sure was a big inspiration yeah. for this film i know that that's one of the things sci-fi really wanted us to take a look at um as we were getting ready to make this film rare exports is one of my favorite krampus films movie. of all time there are so many little christmas gems but gremlins for sure is my number one yeah gremlins is amazing I have not, like, I'm trying to think of, uh, like, specific Christmas horror that I've watched recently, and I, I watched, I watched Krampus again, and it, and it really is just, yeah, it's, it's so good. But I've kind of just always loved holiday-themed horror movies, like, (laughs) I, all of them, like, 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 Valentine, I, Love oh, my it. bloody I mean, Valentine. It's crazy. And actually, my Valentine's Day. No, but I, Valentine. My bloody Valentine? No, Valent isn't it just Valentine with Denise Richards? Probably. Yes, yes. That, is that the one with David Boreanaz in it? Yeah. Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah, there's a sauna death. Um uh-huh. no, I uh the like sort of expensive, you know, like studio horror movies that are like super glossy and you know have a, a have a uh holiday theme is is great um april fool's day i used to love. april fool's day is absolutely one of my favorites in fact the other night my daughter asked if we could watch something scary she's eight and i was going through and i was like oh april fool's day and i was like Oh, I don't know if that's gonna that might be too much for an eight year old. Yeah, yeah. I do that every decide? time when I'm with kids and they're like, okay, well, let's watch something. And I forget the content of films <laughs> all the time. I'm like, you know what I really liked? It was super stylistic. We should watch But I'm a Cheerleader. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> well, I I have the same problem. I have that exact same problem because, you know, as a as as gay and lesbian and queer people. Like I'm raising my kids and I want them to have a cultural understanding of what it's like to be, you know, gay, lesbian or queer 
or you know in that spectrum mm. just because a cultural understanding because it's part of my culture and who i am yeah. and but at the same time it's like what am i going to show them like we can watch we can watch nothing until they are 18 years old <laughs> <laughs> there have been some better, you know, Netflix series and stuff that have uh, been really great little queer pieces. Like Peyton Kennedy starred in mm-hmm. in one recently, and we, it only got one season, but it was her kind of like finding herself as a lesbian. Yeah. It's on Netflix. Me and my fourteen um, year old just watched uh, Love Victor, the oh. the Hulu Disney Plus mm-hmm. uh, sequel to to Love Simon, and we really liked that together. Right. But it was, you know, it's it's one of those those movies where or shows where about halfway through she's like, "Is everybody gonna be gay?" And I was like, <laughs> "Maybe." <laughs> Quiet, you know. And my, my first instinct was like, "Everybody, all kids would love Paris is Burning," but then I realized <laughs> that it's like parts of that documentary are hundred percent not appropriate. Oh right, so, yeah. But Especially... I wonder if we could do a recut of just like the sweet ballroom and like family mm. ties portions. Yeah. I uh, I watched cut it for you. I watched Pose twice for that reason because I would watch the episode and then later I would like if once I watched the episode I'd be like okay kids would you like to come and watch Pose and you know so now I have an eight year old who has a weird intrinsic understanding of nineteen nineteen eighties ballroom culture. That's amazing. That's amazing. I got to dodge all this. My my kid didn't decide they like decided they liked horror nikki was in their 20s so all of a sudden it was like i've never liked horror until now and so suddenly we had this you know thing that i've always loved and and they're like oh hey let's start watching these together and up until that point it was just like eh whatever's on there was no there you know isn't really that mid-range for children anymore you know like this mid-range horror there have been a few you know Back in the day, you could watch The Goonies, I would say, is a great horror yeah. for children. I'm you know, sure. The Gate, how great Monster special Squad. effects and really fun. You say The Gate? Um, I watched... Hmm? The Gate, yeah. The Gate, The Gate's yeah. so good. Um, I was so scared of The Gate, though. The Gate was a... It has moments that are a little scary. And like the claymation little demon things. Crawling they stab a child in the eye with a Barbie. Yeah, what is I mean, wrong with me? I maybe should Emma, that was actually geared to kids. Right. I, I recently saw the animated film Monster House, which I thought right. was a great like step forwards towards mm-hmm. monsters. And what else? There was a new film that came out last year called um, Vampires versus the Bronx. I just watched mm-hmm. that last night, and yeah, I and think it that wasn't would be a good like, one for kids. It wasn't an outstanding film, and I didn't, you know, I would have done the action differently, etc. But it was a great cultural film. Oh my gosh. Um, I was... to like understand communities that I'm not a part of. Right. And it was totally something that was absolutely appropriate for children. Right. I was so annoying to the friend I was watching that movie with because I'd be like, okay, here's how they should have edited that because they shouldn't be letting us know that this person is who they are right now. We should, we should be finding that out in another 20 minutes. But I feel like that's part of the reason I thought it was kid friendly. Like, I feel like there's, it's slowly coming along that there's some like transition stuff so that you're not like me and watching The Exorcist at, you know, like eight. You're you're getting that at stuff on TV now though. You're getting it from like the Goosebumps series that is coming back. Are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. Oh, I Uh, loved Are You Afraid of the Dark when I was a kid. When I was 12, I think they 
they put in a uh, a vending machine down at the the corner store, the quick shop there. They they had a, a VHS vending machine. This was the year was nineteen eighty four or eighty six or something like that. But um, but I uh, I would go there and just nobody was looking. So I could watch whatever I wanted to. And I just, one day I got the gates of hell. I don't know if they, that's a, that's a dandy. Someone uh, uh, regurgitates their entire internal organ, organ system. And, and it's, a, like, it's an Italian horror film. It's yes, a, it's, oh, that's it's, awesome. It's, I think I see it as uh, as an option on one of my streaming services god i hope so that's a good it's, one and i also story, watched story wise it's incoherent it has no plot it's just so basically it's the suspiria but i love it it's, oh. it's but it's great practical very dated but very great practical effects again and again and again and it's so, just like how gross can we be it didn't it didn't make me a monster to see those things all it did was, was okay, it later. inspired a creative part of me to much later on in life, learn how to do prosthetic effects and things like that. And I did that for quite a while in Kansas City, but um, I think I'm over it now. I'm ready for something new. <laughs> I remember, I mean, my, the hardest my work favorite, I've ever done. My favorite um, horror movie as a kid, I mean, other other than Nightmare on Elm Street, all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, but um, was The Stuff. Yeah. oh this stuff's so good i mean yeah. i think that is like that is pretty kid friendly like it's not it's, i almost showed the stuff the... Is so good i have been pushing my agents to find to get me the rights to, to direct oh, the stuff i we can talk oh. about that I've, been oh. in, I've gone through that all of that and i want to make this stuff. i can't believe i've never met anybody else that wants to make this stuff the yeah. way that I want to make the stuff. They've tried and yeah, it's it's all tied up and it's we can talk about it <laughs> later, but I I know how I would want to make it and do it and yeah, it's um but it but that feels pretty kid friendly, minus like the sort of racism with chocolate chip Charlie. Um well, not great. No. <laughs> but again, I think that goes into what you were saying earlier about some movies like you could not do that today. But everybody was totally fine with, you know, that depiction back in the 80s. Yeah. It was you probably know. still awkward and supposed to be. I mean... I'm, I'm excited I'm, for Peel's version of Candyman. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think it's going to be really interesting, right? Well, like, I, mean, I think yeah. that there's ways to tell those stories differently now from, like, the correct perspective or, like, right. with those communities yeah. included. Behind the, behind the, the scenes... Yeah. It. yeah. I mean, there's that whole part of Teen Wolf where where uh, the Mi- Michael J. Fox is telling his best friend about going to tell him about being a vampire or werewolf, and uh, he's like, "You're not going to tell me you're a, you know, fag, are you?" And that's supposed to be a kid's movie. Back Same in the with 80s. the gate, though. They use they use that slur in the gate as well. These little kids. My kids love the Monster Squad. Love it, and it's like every time we watch that movie, I'm like. Oh God! Here comes the scene where they're like, "What do you say?" And I'm like, "Oh God, yeah, yeah." When when my when my kid got into horror, they'd been out queer non-binary for a few years, but when they really started looking at horror, it's like, "Yeah, these are all the great classic horror films," and 
Wow. Um, <laughs> Sleepaway Camp may be the most problematic. Yeah, there's just all, <laughs> and, and so if you have like, a gay, if you have gay dads and they die in a boating accident, you will be um, forced to dress as a different gender and then kill everybody at Sleepaway Camp. It's oh, but yeah. the funny thing about That's you a say- huge trope in horror films mm-hmm. is like. Yeah anybody who's kind of on the trans spectrum yeah. is like that's sometimes the very first times we ever saw anybody that was trans mm-hmm. or uh non-binary were yeah. in horror movies as you know um Ch- texas chainsaw massacre has elements of uh wearing another gender i think you know silence of the lambs is a big one psycho you know this is like all the way back to classics in black and yeah. white it was part of the lexicon of like that was part of the the concept i think queerness and uh you know villainy have been tied together for a very long time Um, yeah and it's interesting trying to you know unpackage and like untie those two things well there's Um, a reason that there's a reason that we um have problems on network television uh you know showing a woman's nipple and but somebody having their head removed is fine yeah because we are messed up about sex yeah mm-hmm. i blame religion never mind <laughs> well and it was well, one, I, yeah it was one of those things where where part of the conversation that we even my kid and i even made our little stint with our little podcast together is because we were looking at it from very different perspectives because mm-hmm. i grew up with these were the films, you know, watching Alien and and The Thing and Halloween when I was, you know, well, I, <clears throat> I watched Halloween when I was 12. Might be a bit early um, to be watching that <laughs> movie. But, but I am a 50-year-old straight white guy. I have a perspective that, you know, is just... And we don't hold your alternate lifestyle against you at all, Tim. <sighs> you say that, <laughs> Dustin, but sometimes I feel that you... <laughs> Um, so I, really, I know he holds it against me. I know he. Well, that's just yeah. That's just because we hold everything against you, Curtis. Because I woke up and he was right there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what made us. That's not, that's what made our. It's our, not true. He did not. <laughs> he did not sleep creep me at all. Sleep except creep. for that one time. Uh, um, <laughs> but because we were actually looking, you know, very different places in our lives and looking at this stuff, so it made it fun to talk about it because it'd be like I'd be like here's this thing and Nikki would be like no 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 and then Nikki would say you know I thought about it it was like about this and I'm like that's not what they were trying to say why did you see it that way and it was a lot of fun for us to discuss that because we've known each other her you know sorry we've known each other their entire life it was kind of interesting just to have that whole kind of dynamic where we could look at something completely differently see the same thing and have very different perspectives on it yeah it was fascinating and Can very I just say funny. how lovely and refreshing that moment was? Thank you. Oh. We we try. We 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 try to stay on the uh the kind, just don't be an asshole side of of being politically incorrect and, and <laughs> saying whatever we want to say, but that does not extend to getting somebody's pronouns wrong or pretending that they don't exist or matter just because they have right. a different lifestyle or culture than we do. We so, found out, we, we had the conversation a long time ago 
when, and this will probably, I'm not sure if I'll keep this in or not, because it's one of those personal things. But when my kid first realized who they were, there was a period of clashes of the older members of the family not being able to get their brains around it in some cases, or some just tripping up early days. Later, it just was irritating. And then it was, okay, let me explain. Hmm. And there was that, that period where they were adjusting to how they wanted to deal with it, right? What, what mattered to them in the interaction with their family, with their friends. I get it right most of the time. And mm -hmm. I still slip up. Mostly it's just a raised eyebrow at this point. Um, <laughs> but it's all, it's all learning. Right? Like I, with Emma, you know, I, 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 I wrote Emma when we were going to start doing these things or if I was going to talk about them in interviews and stuff and asked what, how Emma wanted to be, you know, addressed mm -hmm. as. And for me, I haven't, in my personal life, living in Los Angeles for 21 years, which is crazy, I've never had a non-binary friend. Like, and being a queer man with, you know, which is its own sort of like pocket, right? Like, this is all new, you're, you're way, you're way further than I am, Tim, in terms of like being woke because I just, I haven't had the, the knowledge, you know what I mean? And so I, it's really important. It was really important. And I uh, think a lot of it is just, you know, listening, like, I, mm -hmm. you know, Nikki and I are not the same. I'm perfectly happy with any pronouns that are thrown at me. I get particularly excited when um, I get masculine pronouns because it doesn't happen very often. And so when it happens organically, even if it's the guy who's angry at the hospital, who's maybe a bit of a junkie who yells at me, sir, mm. I'm going to take it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, not everybody, like I in no way speak for everybody who's non-binary. Um, it was a, a revelation that I needed for myself, but the way that other people interact with me, you know, my mom will call me a daughter. Well, to her, I am her daughter. That's her relationship to me. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't bother me. But I can totally understand folks that have a different perspective on that. Right. right? You know, oh, yeah. I, I have a, like, you know, a white, older, male husband. He's my husband. When he calls me his wife, like, I get it. That's fine. I wore a wedding dress. Doesn't actually change anything about me mm. right or change about you know who I am and how I operate within the world and how I interact with other things I know who I am it took a long time to get here um and I understand that that's a gift um do I love they them pronouns yeah because I think that it's a really interesting way to include everybody um and I think it's a really great way to take out um some of the challenges we see um, in gaps uh, of gender within certain industries, like film in particular. In some ways, it's nice to be non-binary just to try and even that playing field if you're just using they, them pronouns for everybody, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. Because it's- I tend to do that when I'm regardless, regardless of their genitalia, right? right? So, and that's such a different perspective. And I can totally understand and respect why Nikki- prefers they them pronouns like I get that too um, I have friends that are you know more militant on that side of things for me it was about having a personal realization 
and then being able to be an open out person who has is relatively safe because again I'm white and upper middle class and have a career um to be able to like use those spaces to be seen to forward other you know characters that are non-binary like having Satan be non-binary in this film was really important to me and using they them pronouns was really important to me just to show that it can be done really simply without ever talking about it Mm -hmm. nobody ever says that Satan's non-binary they just are Mm -hmm. you know and we can't have that unless we have those humans there to make those statements but um there is a huge spectrum of non-binary identities I am just one flavor of a huge Skittle spring. Ooh, raspberry. <laughs> and I, I actually, uh, you know, it was really relevatory for me when uh, Jonathan Van Ness came out as non-binary mm-hmm. and was like, I still, you know, it said basically what you said, which is, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with he, him pronouns. I'm comfortable with they, them, she, her, doesn't matter. As long as you're treating me with respect. Mm-hmm. And coming at me in a way that is is not talking down to me. And, right. you know, I've been working a lot. Uh, since then, I've been actually working a lot through my own feelings of being a non-binary person. And still accepting, you know, I, you know that masculine, de- you know, determination. You know, I, I say, I used to say, you remember uh, Elvira Kurt? She used to do an old 90s lesbian comic. She is so great. If you've not heard of her, she's Canadian. She's amazing. Uh, And she used to do a a bit where she would say that she's not a man. She's not a woman. She's fella girly. (laughs) And and I just loved that. And and, sometimes I would even be like, you know, before you even had the non-binary language to go to, I used that as, you know, I don't particularly ascribe to any particular gender identity. I'm, I, I feel very fella girly. And... <laughs> my, my husband, um, when we first met, he, he called me gender exceptional. And I really liked that. Um, <laughs> I also like uh, uh, a lady, like instead mm. of a lady, a lady. Love that. Uh, Zemlin, I really like also. <laughs> Zemlin, I, you know, I have a, an affinity. I would, I don't think I could ever actually use it, but for when that when it was first starting, you know, the movement started to gather steam and people, the Zim and Zer and oh yeah, you know, I liked Dang those and, a lot. Of, yeah. yeah, and I thought those were very interesting. That's you know, very punk rock. Like I'm going to make up my own you know, classification. I'm mm-hmm. not even, I don't, I won't even accept your human standard of gender. I've made up my own word. That was big when it first, mm-hmm. when this movement, like that gender queer movement first started, was trying to find their own pronouns that fit into more typical English language structure, mm-hmm. which totally made sense for me, but they just never really took off. Right. Um, and I think, I'm, you know, really grateful for the way that um, they, them has, has moved forward in the lexicon. But part of me is kind of sad that Zzer didn't take off. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, I think if it had come into the, the language now, because with the last few years, English is really resistant to change until it isn't. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of words that in the last five, six years 
have wormed their way in. And the internet, of course, being, you know, this stuff starts showing up and it ends up getting tweeted a bazillion times or it shows up on Facebook or wherever. That has helped new, exciting, fun words, some of them not fun and exciting words, get a huge spread and in kind of implanted in the culture. And, you know, in the, what is it, Oxford English Dictionary keeps putting out, you know, here's the 10 new words we added to the language this year. And I think that now, I think it might've been just a little too early. Mm-hmm. Mm. It was back. It was, it was too easy to make fun just of. Weird, weird thing to say. <laughs> or it did too accepted to make fun of back then too. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, and, you know, and- we've been fighting for rights for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, you know, I found that those things come in increments. And if you were to look back at, say, Stonewall now, you'd be like, well, it didn't include these people. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, you know, it's or really hard know to look at without context of the time. My yeah. parents got me a Gloria Steinem book for Christmas. And I very much, my first reaction was like, oh, well, she's sex worker exclusive. You know, like <laughs> but she was really important. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, and it's about looking at those moments in time. And I, and I'm really glad to be part of a moment in time where they, like the singular, they was word of the year, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm lived through that time. Right. Um, so we're making all of this progress and it's like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. No one refers to themselves as one. One would like a tea, please. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, that's if one is royalty, West. one does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if if one can speak with a proper British accent, one yeah. one might. I think <laughs> I've been wanting to do that forever, and nobody <laughs> nobody buys it. Well, that's because they they've met you, Curtis, and you yeah. are an amazing actor. But I've actually never don't think I've ever heard you do a British accent. I avoid it. I'm too. I've got okay. Look, I've got a 10-hour fantasy novel that I've got to do after I finish this Western, and somehow I'm going to have to make that transition from all these characters being like, hey, y'all, you going to ride on horses and whatnot. And then now I've got to do dragons and probably Borg. It's a really weird book. I would really like to hear an old prospect, your dragon, please. <laughs> <laughs> You sons of bitches. I'm gonna blow I'm just going to blows the fire on you. Right. Amazing. Well, my dears, I hate to be the person who does this, but I have all of my pets to like take care of and my husband to to see in our <laughs> to look at apartment. Yeah. I hope I, I hope these boys agree, but I have enjoyed tonight. Yes. So much more than thank I have. Thank you so so much for joining night. us. Yes, and yes, and feel you. free to join us anytime. Obviously, we don't you know get get super. Ex- we we go off wherever we want on this show. So you know, if you ever want to join us again to talk about anything, we are we are willing to do it. I love a queer horror uh, meander. So call me in. <laughs> I'm very looking forward. I think I'm going to have to start our Pride Month. Uh, research early because we, we just didn't sort of even fell decide. into it. Last yeah, time. we uh, it was almost by accident. We watched, uh, I saw that, um, what was that oh, movie shit, that was a year ago? Hellbent, Hellbent, Hellbent was on yeah. some yeah. service, yeah. and I was like, Oh, we should watch Hellbent, and then I was like, We should watch a lot of gay movies. We watched oh. 
uh, that Nightmare- series was called Everything Sucks, the one with Peyton Kennedy, oh, right. where she comes oh, out right. as a lesbian in the first season, mm-hmm. and it's really great, and it's great for young folks. Sorry. Me and my kids watched I Am Not Okay With This, which uh, is probably not the greatest idea for, you know, giving children to watch, but... Please yeah. Like well, Me is also outstanding. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that show. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate Mike, it. you were about to say something. Oh no, I just was like, this was a blast. And again, thank you guys for reaching out and for enjoying the movie. And you know, it was it was really fun to meet you all. And yeah, let's do it again. Okay, anytime. Thank you guys. Thank you, Bye, friends. Bye. Bye. Well, that was fun. That was, was a lot of fun. fun. That was super fun. Those guys were really, really nice. And I really liked our tangents tonight. They went yeah. well. Yeah. Well, do you want to do the sign offy thing? The fun people left, so we might as well wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, folks, we hope you've enjoyed our the fact that we well, we got to enjoy having Mike and Emma here on the show. And we hope that you enjoyed them and the tangents we went on tonight. Yeah. And... Good luck editing that, you guys. Yeah. I've never I'll, been more happy to just be talent in my life than when we have a really long meandering conversation with school. I'm just wondering how much I'm actually just not going to cut anything. I mean, there's, you know, I don't have to cut things when I don't have to cut things. So, <laughs> all right, folks. So Jamila hope- got her ears pierced today. Jamila, congratulations. She can't hear you, but That's all right. you know, she's right here. I've got to go help her rub her ears with with alcohol now. All right, folks, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We've had a great time. We hope that you have as well. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can leave us a comment, leave us a rating. Of course, those are always great. We do want to take a minute here to call out to a friend of this show and a friend of a lot of the stuff that we do on the podcast side of our lives. Uh, Tom Kane is an incredible voice actor, and he you may know his voice primarily. For a lot of people, it's Yoda from the Clone Wars TV series, the animated series. But he's done stuff for the Academy Awards. He's been in all kinds of things. He's an amazing voice actor. And in fact, he doesn't appear on screen very very often, but he graced the screen of a film that I directed, The Statement of Randolph Carter, where he played one of the detectives. And we were really, really happy to have him on screen and, and acting for us. And he does the intro for this show. He does the intro for a lot of the shows on Sci-Fi for Me, where, of course, Zompocalypse now originated. He is a fantastic guy, a fantastic voice performer, and unfortunately, in the last several months, he had a stroke, and it has impacted his his ability to actually do voice work uh, dramatically. And he's in recovery. We are hopeful that he will recover at, at all. I mean... No, we're, we're hopeful that he's going to, re- as much as he recovers, we'll be grateful for. Um, and if he can get back to doing his voice work, that's amazing. But he's a friend of the show. He's a friend of, of a lot of the, the voice community, the voice out there, people out there doing voice work. And just a really, really nice and talented guy. And we wish him a re- speedy recovery. We wish him nothing but the best and have, um, you know, all the sympathy and, and support for his family uh, in this time. He lives here in Kansas City, where where all of us are from. Uh, well, not from from, but where we've been friends and, and, and met. So 
Tom, we're thinking about you, and and we wish you nothing but a speedy and as full of recovery as is possible. Uh, we'll do this again on our next episode of Zompocalypse Now. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. And again, folks, thanks for listening. We'll do this again on our next episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey, Dustin Adair, and Curtis Smith for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved. <laughs>